Go ahead and take your Bibles and go to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 30 tonight. I'm going to give you all a warning before this message. Tonight, what I'm going to give you, it's, it's not all going to be easy stuff to receive. It's something that, as, I, you know, as I've been studying this, just been kind of, you know, I don't know, it's just uh, it's like, you know, this should be taught a lot more and it's not being taught. And I kind of feel like a lot of what I'm going to share tonight is going to be just a news flash for a lot of people. And it shouldn't be. This is something that people should have been preaching, uh, you know, since the time of Christ, been warning people about, but it's not really going on. And it's, um, it's one of the biggest challenges for anyone listening to this message, whether it's here tonight, whether, you know, they're watching it on the internet is going to be listening to the whole thing. It is going to be extremely hard to do that because I'm going to be making some claims early on. I literally, and, and the way I'm going to present this, I'm going to, what it's going to appear to be, I'm going to be digging a hole that I'm going to be putting myself into with some of the claims that I make. That there's, like, there's no way you're going to get out of this. You know, you have basically disproved what you've been teaching. But the truth is, you know, I, I'll be able to get out of this hole. I've got plenty of scripture. I'm only going to scratch the surface on the scripture tonight. And I've, I, I'm, I'm just, I thought, you know, how can I get this across? How can I get this across where people will listen, where people will pay attention, and especially where they'll be able to understand it? And honestly, you're going to have to, you know, you're probably going to have to actually take these scriptures and do some reading yourself. You might have to do some of your own personal study. Now, I know people just don't do that these days, but you're going to have to do that. And one of the reasons it's going to be so hard, there are some things that people, you know, when it comes to, you know, doctrine or when it comes to end times, how you interpret the scripture, there are some things that they are just sure about. I mean, we know this, we, we know this for a fact. And so when you hear some of the claims I'm going to make, it's like, well, he's, he's off. He's long gone. He doesn't understand this, but wait, are you sure you know what you think, you know, are you positive? On your doctrine, are you sure that you are right on what you are teaching, on how you think? And so I do. I challenge you to pay attention to this whole thing. And then, after the end, if you still think this guy's lost his mind, then well, we will just agree that I've lost my mind. Alright, and so, Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 1. The title of my message is, The Time of Jacob's Trouble. The time of Jacob's trouble. I made the claim last week that uh, we are here for the tribulation. That we are not here for the wrath of God. God's wrath comes after the tribulation. And a fact that people have determined this is a fact. We know this. There is no doubt about it. That the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, is about Israel. It is for the Jews. God is punishing Israel. God is chastising Israel, I've heard people say, because of their rejection of the Messiah. And therefore, the time of Jacob's trouble has nothing to do with the church. It has nothing to do with the Christian. The very fact that the Bible calls it the time of Jacob's trouble is proof that we are not here. And so, let's go ahead and read Jeremiah chapter 30. And I submit to you right now that the time of Jacob's trouble has everything to do with us. It has everything to do with the believers. And this is where I start digging my hole that people are going to think there's no way you can get out of this. But let's go ahead and read Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. And these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness. Alas, for that great that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble but he shall be saved out of it. Notice right there, the title of Jacob's trouble. That is the title of the message tonight. Notice it talks about the, the pains, all right? Like a the birth pains that it's talking about. Keep that in mind. That's going to be important later in the message. Notice it's a, it's a day that's great. There's none like it. Verse 8, For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, 
that I will break his yoke from off thy neck and will burst thy bonds and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Therefore fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord, neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar and thy seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return and shall be in rest and be quiet and none shall make him afraid. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee, though I make a full end of all nations, whether I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee. But I will correct thee in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. Alright? Now right there, that's proof that that's about Israel. God's not done with Israel. God's going to you know, use the tribulation as a way to get them to come back to Him. And that's the goal of the tribulation. But no, I'm telling you right now that that is talking about us. And that's right there where you lose, I'm, going to, I'm going to lose most people. You have dug yourself in a hole. We know that is talking about Israel. That is talking about the Jews over there in Israel today. This is nothing to do with the church. It has nothing to do with the New Testament saints. I say that it does. And that's going to be a tough claim. That's going to be really tough. Well, let's see what happens when we study the Bible. All right. So. First off, when it comes to tribulation, because I agree the time of Jacob's trouble is the tribulation. I believe the time of Jacob's trouble takes place before God pours his wrath out on this world. And the truth is, you know, there is no evidence in the Bible. There's zero evidence that the Christians escape tribulation. In fact, we own tribulation. I'm going to read several verses about tribulation just to show that God never even implied that we don't ever deal with tribulation. Not all these verses are talking about the tribulation. But it just shows that tribulation is kind of what we go through as Christians. Matthew thirteen twenty says, But he that received the seed into stony places is the same as he that heareth the word, and Anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. Tribulation comes on those who get saved. We have Dawn who just got saved. I promise some tribulation is going to come your way. Her brother got saved this morning. You know what? Trouble's going to come his way. Tribulation's going to come his way to try to just keep him from serving God. That's what the devil does. He's going to send tribulation your way. John 16:33. These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Acts 14.22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Romans 5.3, and not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Uh, 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril of sword. Romans 12.12, 12, rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. 2 Corinthians 1.4, who comfort us, us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort with we ourselves are comforted of God. 2 Corinthians 7.4, great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glory of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. 1 Thessalonians 3, 4, For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass, and ye know. Revelation 1, 9. John, I, John, who am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the Isle of called Patmos for the Word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Revelation 2, 9, I know thy works and tribulation. Uh, verse 10, Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, and ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. After reading all those verses, is there any indication that we just don't ever have to deal with tribulation as Christians? It makes it very clear that as a Christian, we're going to go through tribulation. And we really struggle with this too as American Christians that are spoiled rotten. We think no trouble should ever come our way. We think that we're saved, our sins are under the blood, and therefore I can be a sorry Christian, not do anything that God commanded me to do, not fulfill the Great Commission, not live a holy life, not walk in the Spirit, 
and I am just going to get, you know, I'm going to get myself in all kinds of trouble in this world because of sin. And then one of these days, I'm going to get raptured and all my troubles are over. No judgment, no trouble. Where, where does that come from? You're not getting that from the Scripture. We see in the Bible, yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And we see that it is, we are promised to go through troubles and to go through tribulations. Yes, these verses aren't talking about the tribulation, but at the same time, people do, they act like tribulation is not for Christians. We shouldn't have to deal with that stuff, but it's, it's true that we do. And I say all this to show you, we were never promised that. And the term for the, this future event known as the tribulation, the only place in the Bible where the time of Jacob's trouble is referred to as the tribulation is in Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24, it is, it's the only place where it refers to tribulation. And what it does, it says in there, after it goes through the basically the first six seals, after the abomination of desolation that we know is in the midst of Daniel's 70th week, that seven-year period, after that it says, then shall be great tribulation. And so people have just assumed three and a half year tribulation, three and a half years great tribulation. But the Bible never says that great tribulation period lasts for three and a half years. But people have just assumed it because they've associated the entire seven years, all is tribulation, all is God's wrath. And we don't have time to go and prove how wrong that is. But at the same time, that verse of Matthew 24 is the only place where it calls it the tribulation. And I, I think it's you know, appropriate to call you know, the time of Jacob's trouble tribulation, but just not all seven years. And so what exactly is the great tribulation? Okay, so we read in Jeremiah chapter 30, it gives us some very clear things in there that we need to take note of. And one of those, it's a day, it says it's a day like no other. We saw that in verse 7. It says there is none, so as there is none like it. There is no day like that time of Jacob's trouble. We see that in there it says, uh, but he shall be saved out of it. It says Jacob will be saved out of that day. Okay, The Bible tells us Jacob will be saved out of that day. And also it says it's a day of punishment in verse 11. It says that he will not make a full end of thee, but I will correct thee in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. There is no way that can be talking about the church, right? No, it is talking about the church. It is. And I'm going to show that to you. But let's go on because I want to show you that um, also Daniel chapter 12. Daniel spoke of this same time that we refer to as the tribulation. Go to Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. And it says, And at that time Michael shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble, like the time of Jacob's trouble, such as never was. You all see that? Just like Jeremiah said it was a day like no other, Daniel said it's like a time that never was. Alright? Uh, since there was a nation, even at that same time, and at that time, thy people shall be delivered. Jeremiah said Jacob will be saved out of it. Daniel said thy people shall be delivered. Everyone that shall be found written in the book. You all see that? Everyone whose name is written in the book will be saved out of that time. That's the Jews. That's got to be the Jews. I'm going to, I'm going to prove to you from the Bible very clearly that it is, that is not talking about the Jews. It can't be talking about the Jews. I'm going to show you that in just a little bit. This is Daniel. Who's he writing to? He's writing to the Jews. He's writing to the believers. Okay? I don't want to get ahead of myself. We'll look at verse 2. It says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. And I submit to you that that is the rapture. That is the dead in Christ rising. Those people who are, are, are coming up out of their graves. Okay? That is known as the resurrection or the rapture. So we see in Daniel, it's a day like no other. Jeremiah said it's a day unlike any other. Uh, Jeremiah said Jacob will be saved out of it. Daniel said those written in the book will be saved out of it. We see a resurrection is going to take place during this time. So now we have to do something here. Now we ha you have to make a choice, okay? Whether if you are a, if you are a solid pre-trib person, you now have to make a choice. And that is that our rapture, the rapture of the church, 
comes, you know, it either comes after this time like no other, like we see here in uh, Daniel chapter 12, or it's a different rapture. So if you're going to be, if you're going to be solid pre-trib, you have to believe in two raptures. Okay, I don't believe in two raptures. I only believe in one. But you, it, right here, this is very clearly, you know, I, I believe the rapture taking place, the uh, resurrection. Could this event with the dead rising, like we see in First Thessalonians four, with the voice of the archangel, like in First Thessalonians chapter four? And a bodily change taking place. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Alright, we're going to have a body at the rapture that's like Christ's body. A change that it, that it explains here in Daniel chapter 12 is like the transfiguration of Christ where He took on that heavenly form. Could it be that that event with the dead rising, with a bodily change taking place, you know, with the voice of the archangel, could that be a different event than what we read about in 1 Thessalonians 4? I say no. But if, you are, if you're going to be pre-trib, you have to assume that. You have to say that this is a different rapture here in Daniel chapter 12. I, I don't believe that, but if you want to claim that, go right ahead. Look at Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 is another rapture passage that you either have to decide this is our rapture or there are two raptures. And it says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21, says, For then shall be great tribulation. This is after we have seen the first six seals basically played out, the wars, the rumors of wars. This is after we've seen the abomination of desolation. After we have seen that, verse 21, it says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. Right here, we see in verse 21, it's going to be a day like no other. Could this be a different day than what we read about in Jeremiah 30 and Daniel chapter 12? No, it's a day like no other. It's not going to say that, well, it's a day like no other except for that other day like no other. No, it's the same thing. Clearly, this is the same. When it says a day like no other, it's because there's no other like it. Okay? These are not two events. This is all the same event. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Remember, Jacob will be saved out of it. Those written in the book of life will be saved out of it. And for the elect, those days will be cut short. It's not going to be a full seven years. Okay? Why? Because those days for us, it won't be a full seven years for us because for us, those days are cut short. The Bible says, except those days should be shortened, uh, there shall no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto thee, Lo, here is Christ, there, believe it not. And then it talks about the false Christ, uh, signs, lying wonders. And we'll probably talk more about uh, Matthew 24, possibly next week. So right here, very clearly, the same thing. And then after this, we see the rapture. We see the two in the field, one take, another left. We see the angels going and gathering the elect from the four winds. Clearly, a rapture is taking place. So you either, right now you have to decide. I either believe in two raptures or there's one rapture that I'm going to be in that goes after the tribulation. And if that's the case, then we do have to assume that Daniel chapter 12, Jeremiah chapter 30, it does, it does apply to us. And I'm going to show you that it does. But what about the Jews? Because I get that question all the time. So what about the Jews? This is about the Jews. This isn't about us. This is about the Jews. But these passages, passages are clearly, you know, they're clearly about the Jews in Israel, right? Matthew 24, it's written to the Jews. Who's Jesus talking to? He's talking to the 12 apostles. They're all Jews. Uh, this is all for Jews. Daniel's written to Jews. Jeremiah's written to Jews. He's talking about Israel. You know, Jacob, they're Jews. Jews, Jews. All right, it's all about the Jews. Well, no. That is not the case. This, this is about the church. See, remember what these passages all had in common. Okay? They talk about a day like no other. Clearly the same day. They talk about those who are saved out of that day. Jeremiah called them Jacob. Daniel called them those written in the book. Jesus called them the elect. And this group being taken out is clearly a people, a group of people that had not been revealed during the Old Testament time. And that group is the spiritual seed of Abraham. The spiritual seed of Abraham, they existed before Jesus Christ. 
they, they, all those who were of faith in the Old Testament, they were the spiritual seed of Abraham. They did not understand that in the Old Testament. People all the time, this can't be talking about the church. Where do you see the church mentioned in the book of Daniel? You see the church mentioned in Daniel? You see the church mentioned in Jeremiah? Well, of course not. God had not revealed that yet. And it hadn't even been revealed totally in Matthew chapter 24. But it was revealed later. It was revealed that it's the truth is those who are the flesh are not the children of Abraham. They are not the Jews. Romans chapter 2, verse 28. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly and circumcision that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is, of, is not of men, but of God. You all see that he is not a Jew. There is one outwardly. No, they're the chosen people. No, those of faith, the spiritual seed of Abraham are the chosen people. It is not them. For some reason, Baptists have forgotten about the New Testament. And they can't get out of the Old Testament. And no, it's Israel. No, we are Israel. No, no, we're not Israel. Well, Romans 9, 6 says, Not as though the Word of God has taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. What does that mean? Well, not everybody who's from Israel, not everybody who descends from Israel, not everybody who lives in Israel is of Israel. What Israel? The Israel of God. The Israel of God's chosen people, the believers, those of faith. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. The children of the promise, who are they? I, I wish I had time to preach this whole thing. But Abraham had two sons, didn't he? Ishmael, who was of the flesh. Isaac, who was of promise. And we are the children of the promise. Yes, there is a physical seed, but the Bible says they are not the children of God. They are not Israel. The Bible specifically says they are not Israel. Why can't people get that? Why I don't under, I just don't understand it. it. It frustrates me to no end that people can't figure that out when the Bible is so clear. I'm not talking symbolically here. I'm not using symbolism and typology. I am using plain, simple English, and people can't get it. it. It absolutely blows my mind. The tribulation has nothing to do with the physical seed of Abraham. Well, what about the physical seed of Abraham? What about the Jews? There's certainly something for the Jews. The Jews, I don't have time to preach on this tonight. I might, maybe next week. They got their comeuppance in 70 AD. They were finished. God gave them 40 years after the time of Christ to get right, to turn to Him. And those who believe got saved. They are in heaven. But the, those who didn't, they stayed behind in Jerusalem. They got wiped out in 70 AD. Their house was left under them desolate. They are done. They are gone. There are remnants of that physical seed that are out there today, but they are not the people of God and they are not Israel. I don't care that they call themselves Israel over there today. They are not Israel according to the Bible. I don't care if they can prove that they descended from Abraham. They are not the children of Abraham. They are not the children of God. They are not the chosen people. And you know what? It's about time I am calling on churches to get rid of their stinking Israel flags off their platform. They're stinking Star of Remphen, and they need to throw it out. It has no place in the church, yet it's there. And I've had enough of it. The tribulation has nothing to do. All those verses we read about the tribulation, they're about Israel. All right, They are about Jacob. They are about the elect. We prove that, and it's all the same time. And remember what Daniel said? He said, those who are written in the book. Is that not what he called them? Those who are written in the book. Are we not written in the book? Yeah, we are written in the book. And not only are we written in the book, the Jews are not written in the book. Uh, yeah. Turn over to Psalms chapter 69. Don't you doubt me on this. I'm not, I'm not going to make these claims without some scripture. Matthew, or Psalms chapter 69, verse 21, They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Who's that talking about? Jesus Christ, right? That, that was a prophetic verse about Jesus Christ. 
Let their table become a snare before them, and that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not, and make their loins continually to shake. Pour out thine indignation upon them, and let thy wrathful anger take hold on them. Who's this talking about? This is talking about Israel. All right, well, it's talking about physical seed. Alright, we gotta get this terminology right. Stop confusing people. This is talking about the physical seed, those who crucified Christ, and it says, Let thine indignation come upon them. Are we under the wrath of God? No, we made that very clear last week, but they are. Let their habitation be desolate, let none dwell in their tents. Remember what Jesus said? Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And that happened. In 70 AD, Psalm 69, 26, for they persecute him whom thou hast smitten and they talk to the grief of those whom thou hast wounded uh, and add iniquity unto their iniquity and let them not come into thy righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. Y'all see that their names blotted from the book. They are not written with the righteous. But I am poor and sorrowful. Let thy salvation, O God, set me up on high. People like David, who did believe God, who did have faith, those guys were saved. God did save guys like David. But those who were just the physical seed, their names were blotted from the book. Their names will not be written with the righteous. The only chance a Jew has of going to heaven is getting saved like you and I. That is their only chance. Someone who physically descends from Abraham, their only hope of getting into heaven is getting saved just like you and I. God has concluded them all in unrighteousness. And I don't even have time to look at all the other references. We don't even have time to go into all the other references. These, I've got scriptures written all over in here. These things were quoted from in the New Testament. And well, go ahead and turn over to Romans chapter 11. I got to show you this one. I can't, I can't resist. I can't resist. It says in verse 7, What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded for the elect's sake. That's talking about Israel. Uh, right here, Paul just said, Israel hath not obtained, but the elect hath. Okay? The elect and the physical Israel are not the same thing. They are a different group. It says the rest were blinded according as it is written... God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear unto this day. You might think, well, Psalm 69, that's not talking about the Jews. That's not talking about physical Israel. Well, Romans 11 verse 9 says, And David saith, Let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. Y'all see that? It just quoted that passage I just read to you from Psalms chapter 69. So that is talking about physical Israel. You cannot deny that. There's no two ways about it. Well, no, it's not. It wasn't Israel. You know, we can't just blame Israel for, you know, crucifying Jesus. But, you know, it, but the truth is, look what it says in Psalms. It says, oh, where is it? In verse 26, it says, for they persecute him. Whom thou hast smitten. What's that talking about? They stood there persecuting Jesus. They mocked him. And it says, whom thou hast smitten. Well, Isaiah 53 verse 4 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We did esteem him. Uh, stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. You all see that? It was prophesied that it was God that smote Jesus. But he was doing that for us. And while he was doing that, the Jews are there. They're persecuting Christ. They're mocking him. They're cursing him. And you know what? Right here we see in Psalms that those people would not be written in the book. Can they be saved? Yes. God hath not cast away his people. Paul said, you know, God, when people say that all the time, well, no, God hasn't cast them away. And then read the rest of that passage. Paul said, I'm of Israel. God will save those from Israel. I wish I had time to go on all the scriptures. I got, I got more scripture up here than I can even possibly give in one night. 
But what did Paul, Paul say? He referred back, you know, there's that remnant according to the election of grace that they are beloved for the Father's sake. God promised, I believe it was in Deuteronomy, that even in the latter days, those who would call on Him, God would save them because of His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those who would call on Him, those who would get saved. A Jew today, they don't have to be under the curse. They can get saved if they'll call on the name of Jesus Christ. But there is no future thing out there waiting for them. You know, this extra revelation they're going to get, an extra opportunity. This is their chance. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That is also quoting an Old Testament passage given to Israel. And now is that time for them to get saved. If they don't do it now, they are never going to get it. So note the group in this passage, it was the group that crucified Jesus, a group that God would blind, a group that it would experience God's wrath, a group whose habitation would be desolate, that was mentioned there in Psalms, and a group that persecuted the one smitten of God. Very, there is no doubt that Psalms chapter 69 is talking about Israel and it says they would be blotted out of the book of the living and their names would not be written with the righteous. So how could they get saved out of the tribulation when Daniel said it's those whose names are written in the book. It can't be. There is no way, there is absolutely no way that can be talking, that can be talking about Israel. First, first Peter 2, 6, a lot of people might not like this. Wherefore also is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made head of the corner, and the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. They were appointed to do that? They were chosen? They were chosen to do that? Is that what you're saying? Physical Israel, this is where the Calvinists get messed up. They take this passage here and they get the wrong idea about it and Baptists don't know how to explain it to them because they would have to throw their pet Jews under the bus. Look at what Romans chapter 9, verse 13 says. Now, once again, you might not like this, but you know, God doesn't always write everything, just things that we like. Romans chapter 9, verse 13, as it is written... Referring from Malachi, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. God loves some people, hates other people. God picks some people to be saved. God picks some people not to be saved. Eh, wrong. Okay, God blessed Jacob. That when you go back and read Malachi, what that's saying is God preferred Jacob over Esau. God blessed Jacob more than Esau. God blessed Esau, but not as much as Jacob. God blessed him more. It says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid, this isn't fair. Why would God pick the Jews for that? That's not fair. Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. All right? I understand you questioning that. Paul understood them questioning that. But there is no unrighteousness with God. He knows what he's doing. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore he hath mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump? to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. I wish we could go back to Jeremiah and look at the potter and the clay parable that he gave. That is crystal clear talking about God remaking Israel and including the Gentiles in there. And Paul refers to that, talks about this. We don't even have time to go into that. But it says in verse 22, What if God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long suffering? the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he hath afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Y'all see that the Jews are the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. They were raised up 
I'm sorry, but we just read it to basically fall and to fail and to one day be destroyed. And it, and so God could show mercy to us, the ones that he had planned, the ones he had prepared in the beginning. As he saith also in Osi, I will call them my people, which were not my people. Those who weren't his people, the Gentiles, would one day be his people. While those who were called his people are not his people. It was, that was in Hosea. Behold, which is not, uh, I will call her beloved, which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. That's talking about us. Isaiah also cried concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. There has always been a remnant of Israel that has believed, that has been saved. There has always been Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. There's always been the Davids and the, uh, the Solomons and the Isaiahs and Jeremiahs, those of Israel who did believe God, who had faith and were saved. And even today, there are still people that are of that remnant that are still saved today, people who descend from them that are saved today. And because of the promises that God gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as messed up as that group is, as bad as they fell on their face and failed, God will save those people. God will save Jews. And we are not doing them any favor. I can like, oh, God's got some special covenant for you. After we're gone, wait till you see what God's going to do for you. He's going to throw them into hell is what he's going to do. And so right there, very clear. You might not like that, but only a remnant of physical Israel ever was and ever will be saved. They didn't understand all that back then. It was not revealed, but it is revealed now. The principle of the older and younger brother, I've preached on that before. You have Ishmael and Isaac. Those are the flesh. The older brother is always the child of the flesh. It was always the younger that is the one of promise. Go back and listen to my message, The Three Tales of Two Sons, where I cover that, where I show Isaac or Ishmael and Isaac. I show Esau and Jacob. Cain and Abel. Uh, who else was there? And then finally, Adam and Jesus. Adam, which was the Son of God, made earthy. He was of earth. He was of the flesh, but then Jesus Christ, of the Spirit. And we all die by Adam, but we are all saved by Jesus Christ, by the younger. Israel was the, the physical Israel is the older brother. I can prove that to you. What did God call him in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22? Why did God say this? He said it for us in Exodus 4, 22. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. You all see that? Israel, physical Israel was God's firstborn. But guess what? The blood, though It was always the younger brother. The one of promise. Those were the ones that received the blessings. And that is us. Physical Israel is the firstborn. We are the younger brother. And just like the older brother of the flesh persecuted the younger brother with Ishmael to Isaac, they did that to the believers. There are multiple references to that in the New Testament. Constant persecution from the older brother. And Galatians spells it out. I believe it's Galatians chapter 3 or 4. Spells it out that the story of Ishmael persecuting Isaac was a picture of the Jews persecuting Isaac. Christians. And I get in trouble when I group Jews in with the Muslims. Oh, how can... They're Ishmael, the children of the flesh. They are in the same category as far as God is concerned. And so, I, I, I just... I, it, it, it blows my... I don't know how people can't get this. It, it drives me nuts. I, I really don't... I don't get it. But we are God's people. First Peter 2, nine. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should sow forth the praise of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. All those things He called them. You can go back in the New Testament and see where God called Israel that. But He wasn't talking about physical Israel. He's talking about spiritual Israel. And that we are the chosen people. First Peter, or God has not cast away Israel, meaning He will save those who are physically Jews, but their salvation is the same as our salvation. So what about this hole that I dug for myself earlier where I claimed the day of punishment in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 11, 
is for us. Didn't I say last week we're not appointed under wrath? Well, there is a huge difference between the wrath of God and the chastening hand of God. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. I don't know where we got this idea. God's never going to punish us for anything. I don't know where the trendies are getting this idea that we don't need to ask God for forgiveness for anything. You know, He's already forgiven us. You know, we don't need to say we're sorry. We don't need to make up for anything. We don't need to, you know, try to, you know, do right. I don't know where that comes from. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? If we're his children, why would God not punish us when we do wrong? Why would he not do that? But if he be without chastisement, there's one reason God wouldn't punish you. If ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto your father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Do you all see that? God punishes when God punishes us, it's for our benefit. This is good. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You all see that? It's good when you're getting chastened by God. One, that means you're His, but two, He's improving you. He's helping you. He's fixing you. God's wrath, it means physical death and sent to hell. All those who are under the wrath of God, they are going to be killed and they are going to go to hell. That is a lot different than just the chastening hand of God that produces good in us, that helps us, that helps us become more holy. It is completely different. The tribulation that we are going to go through, the punishment that we are going to receive during that time is going to be beneficial for us. And that's, I know that probably, what, punishment? The church is going to get punished? Why would we get punished? Why wouldn't we? Have you seen churches today? Have you seen what's going on with believers today? Churches today are a joke. People, I believe they're full of many saved people, but they are a joke. We see many places in the Bible where God, you know, or where God is dealing with us in the tribulation. Look at Daniel chapter 11 and verse 32. Oh, this is talking, oh, you're back in Daniel. That's talking about the Jews. No, we've already proved that's not talking about physical Israel. Daniel 11:32. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. It was talking about the Antichrist there. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many, yet they shall fall by the sword and by flame, by captivity and by spoil many days. Now when they shall fall, they shall be hoping with a little help, but many shall cleave to them with flatteries. And some of them of understanding shall fall to try them and to purge and make them white even unto the time of the end because it is yet for a time appointed. Y'all see that? The purpose of tribulation is to purify us. Why do we need that? Why, why is that? I'm going to show you where that, this is wonderful. What? <laughs> no, this is, it's going to take a little bit of faith. I'm sorry about that, but you know, a lot of things take faith in the Bible. But it says it's doing that to make us white. That's what the tribulation is doing. It's purging us. There's a lot of people in Christian churches today that should not be in churches that are lost. And the tribulation will purge those people. Trust me, when their life is on the line, these people are going to disappear from churches real quick. Churches, many of them are going to shrink big time during the tribulation. And look what it says in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. We just read that about making us white even at the time of the end. And after this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. For some reason, people think Revelation chapter 4, when he heard a voice saying, Come up hither and John goes up in the Spirit, people think that's the rapture. That's the rapture. We know that's the rapture. Well, it doesn't really sound like the rapture. How about in Revelation chapter 7 when a multitude from all over the world appear before the throne? That sounds a little more like the rapture to me. But look what it says. That's not what we're talking about right now. Said, but they cried with a loud voice, verse 11, and the angels stood around about the throne, about the elders, the four beasts fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, 
Amen. Blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be unto God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. Right here we see those people that are in the white robes. Now here's the thing. Ultimately, what is it that makes us clean and white? We see it right there in Revelation chapter 7. The blood of Jesus Christ. That's what's going to get us into heaven. Not the fact that we endure tribulation, that we endure persecution, that we do good. But when Jesus Christ returns, our rewards... What are those based on? Those are based on our performance. And we don't have time to talk about rewards and crowns and things tonight, but the rewards we receive, those are based on our performance here on earth. Okay? So keep... And listen, there should be no greater desire in our hearts than to be ready when Christ returns. It has been proven over and over again in history that nothing spreads revival more than persecution. Nothing. There is no greater gift that God could give us than to allow the greatest persecution that has ever taken place to come right before He returns. Why? That's going to get our act together. We see constant warnings. I wish we had time to go through all the parables about being ready. Be ready. Watch, watch, watch. Be ready. You don't want to be caught sleeping when He comes. You want to be ready. Why? Because we're going, to, we're going to be rewarded. We're going to be judged. And the Bible is very clear. That many are going to be sleeping spiritually during the time. They, there's those who are going to be ashamed at His coming. And I don't want to take any chance that that happen to me. So, you know, I want to be faithful all the time. So I'll be ready when He returns. And that time, that time of tribulation it is a time of purification. God is going to purify the church. God is going to purify His people. He's getting us ready. He's given us a chance to get our act together so we will be ready in His return. And many Christians somehow got the idea that there is nothing bad that will ever happen to Christians. They sit around. Brother Parsh used to say, sit around on their blessed assurances. How do they do? Sit around. I'm on the way to heaven. i got eternal security. I don't have to do nothing. They do absolutely nothing that God has commanded to do. They are not fulfilling the Great Commission. You can hardly even get them in the house of God. They won't tell people how to get saved. They're not going to go sowing. They're not reading their Bible. They're not living godly separated lives. They're not letting their light shine. They're not doing anything. They're living in sin. And they've got all this mess in their life because of the sin in their life. And I'm just waiting for the rapture so God can get me out of all my trouble. No. 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 That's not what it's all about. That is not what it's all about. Their life is a mess because of sin and they think Christ is going to return so they can escape their problems. But look what the Bible teaches. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. The terror of the Lord. Well, what, what, what's scary about sitting around and nothing bad happened, the rapture taking you away from all your problems. You know, well, you know, it's not going to be pleasant for everybody on Judgment Day. It's not going to be pleasant. Some are going to be saved, yet so is by fire. No rewards. They will be ashamed that it's coming, folks. You need to wake up. I don't want that to be you. I don't want to see people from my church standing there ashamed before God. That makes me look bad. You don't want to do that. And we see in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Hey, be thankful for the suffering. Why? It's going to make you like Christ. You're going to be like Him when He returns. And you will be glad. Verse 14, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. You know how many busybodies are sitting around church miserable because they're gossips and they can't keep their nose out of everybody's business? And they're miserable and they're just wanting the rapture to come. 
to get them out of their stressful life. That's not how it works. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this behalf. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Now you hear that quoted all the time. Judgment must begin at the house of God. Okay, what does that mean? When does that happen? When does judgment begin at the house of God? Judgment begins at the house of God at the time of Jacob's trouble right before God pours His wrath out in this world. Judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Well, I can answer that. The wrath of God is going to be poured out on them. God's going to deal with us. Not it, not physical Israel. The tribulation, God is dealing with us. He's getting us ready. That's good. That is a blessing. Those of us who are awake, who realize what's going on, we, we're definitely going to be getting ourselves ready. And we will be thrilled. We will be excited when Jesus Christ returns. Not ashamed at His coming. Verse 18, and if the righteous scarcely be saved, what shall the ungodly, uh, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Wherefore let him that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well doing as unto a faithful creator. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another in so much as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall be thought worthy who have trodden under the foot of the Son of God and have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and have done despite under the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But call into remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great flight of affliction, partly whilst you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst you became companions of them that were so used, for ye had compassion of me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which he hath recompensed of reward, for ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. Ye have need of patience. You need patience. Keep that in mind. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. This passage clearly is all talking about the coming of Christ, God's judgment on us. Why? We need patience. We have need of patience. Okay? Why do we need... Verse 38, you know, the just shall live by faith. And uh, let's go to Romans chapter 5, verse 3. It says, not only... Okay, why do we need patience? Well, why is this patience thing so important? Well, Romans 5, 3, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations. We glory in tribulations. Also knowing that tribulation worketh patience. We have need of patience and tribulation worketh patience. This is a good thing. James 1, 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Luke 21, verse 16, And ye shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolk and friends, and some of you shall they cause to be put to death. Well, that stinks. That doesn't sound good. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but there shall not a hair of your head perish. I thought we were going to get killed. There shall not a hair of your head perish. You're not going to hell. In your patience, possess ye your souls. Notice that during that tribulation time, in your patience, Possess ye your souls. And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed about with armies, know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Clearly tribulation. And in Revelation 3.10, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, 
I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly, hold fast which thou hast, and let no man take thy crown. The patience is mentioned again. There's a lot I could say about that verse. I don't have time. Revelation 13, 7. And it was given unto him, the Antichrist, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Y'all see that? That persecution. This is the patience. This is where it comes from. This is their opportunity to show their, their faith. It comes in the tribulation. Revelation 14, 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark and his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Henceforth, from henceforth, yea, saith the Scripture, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. And I saw... And I looked and behold a white cloud and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man having on his golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud. Thrust in thy sickle and reap for the time is come for thee to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth and the earth was reaped. We are taken up. After all that has happened. After we have... That, and if we've, who have and had that patience and had faith, our works do follow us. That we glory in tribulation. We have so much to gain by going through the tribulation. The rewards we receive are eternal. No one can ever take them from us. We don't need to be scared of this, folks. There is no reason for us to be scared of tribulation, to fear tribulation. We glory in tribulation. Why? Because it worketh patience in us. Let patience have her perfect works. He may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. We will be ready when Christ returns if we endure suffering because it works patience in us. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, last passage. Now all these things happen to them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted, above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. And you all understand that that escape, that's not talking about escaping death. That's talking about escaping the sin. It's like, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I could be martyred. I don't know if I could say no to the mark. God will give you the grace to get through that time. God will give you the courage. God will give you the need so you can escape the sin. Oh, that's not talking about, that's not talking about the mark of the beast. That, it's upon whom the ends of the world are come. And those who take the image and worship the image of the beast, and it's, it's just kind of interesting, Verse 14, look what it says. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. That's what people are going to be doing on that day. Idolatry. Worshiping the beast and his image. And they're going to go to hell. But there's going to be many who are going to die because they won't do it. And those who die, their works do follow them. Those who endure to the end... They will be saved. They will be taken up in the rapture. We'll be able to say, I did it. I did what I was supposed to do. We will be ready when Jesus Christ returns, serving God. And I'm telling you right now, this is nothing to be scared of. Well, the only thing we should fear is not being ready for that day. And you know what? People say, well, what's the difference? You know, what's the difference between you know, pre-trib? You know, it's a three and a half year difference. I'll tell you what the difference is. All it's going to take one nuke could set off all the events that it takes. One nuke to take out our grid, take our power, take out our communications, 
And let me, when that happens, free speech is going to be gone. Free speech will be gone. And people think, well, if it all starts going down, then we'll preach this. We'll get everybody ready. No, you won't. It will be too late. They're not going to be able to you know, go online and hear sermons like this. They're not going to be able to go online and watch the videos that have been put out by other people who preach on this stuff. They're not going to be able to do that. We have to be telling people now that that day may come where we're not able to communicate from long distances and we not we might not be able to get the message out that we need to and so locally people are going to have to spread the word it's going to have to be done locally but if there's only a handful of people that are preaching this then what are most people going to do they're going to fall away like the bible says is going to happen and so you know what i know this is not popular but i'm accountable for what i know I'm not even just accountable for what I know. I'm accountable for what I don't know. Because if it's in the Bible and I don't know, it's because I haven't studied it enough. But I do know this. I, I hope I gave you enough Scripture tonight. Anybody you think we need more Scripture to prove this? Alright? Those who teach this kind of thing, we are, we are required to give twice as much, ten times more Scripture. Uh, I think I did that tonight. But we have got to warn people and get them ready. They need to know what is coming they need to know what to do. They need to stay faithful. They need to be faithful to the end. Flee from idolatry. I want to be ready for that day. And I'm here today to tell you, don't fear tribulation. Glory in tribulation. Let it come in my day. I want to be there when the rapture comes. I want to be one of those whose works do follow them. Oh, I don't, I don't know if I can handle that. I don't know if I can handle it. Three and a half, three and a half years and an eternity of blessings from it, I'll take it. Or you'd rather have a life of ease, live to be 78 years old, life of piece of cake, and be saved yet so as by fire. You can have that, as far as I'm concerned. So be ready for Christ coming. With that, let's all stand together.